Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner. Cahen is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. Cahen and Little Red Hen – just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Welcome, friends, to another edition of On the Rails with me, your host, Forrest Whitman, here at KHEN 106.9 on your FM dial. And you can always, as we have done for almost three years now, put all of these on podcasts. So we have rail fans all around the world, really, and uh, some as far as uh, far as away as Thailand. And they tend to like to jump in on those podcasts. So welcome to the caboose. Put your feet up by the coal stove there. If you want to climb up to the angel's seat so you can see the as we roll along, that's fine, too. Um, our engine is drawn along today by uh, a, the perspicacious <laughs> Rick White, our longtime engineer, who is <laughs> always perspicacious engineer. <laughs> who's <laughs> He's always looking away. I got an email this week from somebody. She said, what is, is he a real? Is there is it a real engine? It's not. It's a virtual <laughs> caboose. It's a virtual caboose and a virtual engine, but and but Braille fans are wherever you find them, and um, but um, so welcome. Do you want to say anything from the head end up there? Oh, I'll just say that we've got some fresh snow on the ground this morning, but it looks like clear sailing from here for us. Thank oh you. boy, that snow is so wonderful. Well, okay, now we have two great guests. We have Reed Dills. Reed Dills. Uh, who, who, whose name for a long time was synonymous with rafting on the Arkansas River. He um, really pioneered the idea of uh, really of, of, of commercial rafting that also had an ecological bent. And of course, Mike is, is, is down here. I think Mike is about to, I think Mike is about to, Mike Kunkel, there he is, Mike Kunkel, who is, was at least the chairman of uh, two or three outdoor outdoor groups, and which he can probably tell you more about those. But welcome, gentlemen, and um, let me set a little context, if, if you don't mind, and that is that in our last meeting, we talked some about the fact that it be, does begin to look like the Utah oil train, 94 miles of oil train through Utah to pull, uh, to pump out and pull um, waxy crude into tank cars, uh, heat up those tank cars, 
take them over to the main line of the uh, Union Pacific, take them all the way over to dot zero, which is of course where they start things, get it, dot zero, dot zero, up along the Colorado River, all the way up, 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 uh, through, the, through the Gore, the Gore Cut, very famous railroad cut. I see all my railroaders, you guys already know all this, but uh, all the way up to the entrance to the Moffat Tunnel, through the Moffat Tunnel, out the other side, all the way down through the Eskers, past my old, old hometown there of Rollinsville, Colorado, all the way down to the tremendous mess that's, that's, called, the, uh, that's called the Denver Interchange, uh, through all that interchange, then uh, south on the, the Burlington, the old Burlington, all the way to the Gulf Coast, where finding this darn stuff is uh, refined into uh, the kind of, uh, well, the kind of petroleum products that run our automobiles and that the petroleum industry says uh, runs our town. So that that's a little bit of, of a long lead in, but we talked yesterday about some of the concerns the rail community has for this. The most obvious one uh, person we've had on this show, former member of, well, uh, we should back up a little, say, Back in my county commissioner days, I was also on the Colorado Rail Board. And in those days, we had a lot of concern about what would happen if something ever blew up in the Moffat Tunnel. And um, that was kind of far-fetched. But now, with heated oil cars going through there, it, the tunnel looks a little even more scary. These tunnels, these, <laughs> these rail cars, hang on, let me pull these notes here. Well, and uh, let's not get into the technical stuff. You, you, our regular rail fans, you guys can do that and gals can do that for yourselves. But um, the, the bottom line is these things are big, they're heavy. It's hard to keep them heated all the time. If they don't keep them heated, they turn the um, waxy crude turns into a solid. And then you've really got a problem. And so that's why it, they're, they're big, they're heavy. And that's why they can't take them over any, any of the big passes. So they've pretty much got to use the tunnel. So then that leaves the, um, the Union Pacific with some very strange situations. One is they have contracted to haul a lot of things. They've contracted to haul uh, agricultural products. They have contracted to haul um, products that they use to make windmills, ironically enough. And, and what are they going to do with these? Because if you, if you get 14 oil trains a day, think about that, 14 trains a day going through the Moffat Tunnel, there's not going to be room for all this other contracted business. Where is it going to go? How are they going to move it? And the general, the general gist is that's going to go over Tennessee Pass, going to come down along the upper Arkansas River, um, going to fight its way through somehow. Uh, Canyon City, where they'll have a fight on their hands, but ultimately they'll prevail, I believe. And uh, that's a very long summary, but that's where we've been so far on the show. And you two gentlemen, we'd like to hear your comments on how are we going to how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to deal with the apparently inevitability of um, general merchandise trains? Once again, going over Tennessee Pass, 
and once again going on down to uh, all the way down to Pueblo. So I don't know. Do you guys want to join in on this? Or uh, I've got some listener questions, but well, well, well. Here's a here's a listener question. I've got the, the list here that you might deal with. Uh, what about water quality? How much is water quality affected? Is it now? This is a trick question. Is it is it impacted as much as snowmaking? Because we all know that snowmaking sends false messages to fish. And so fish, listening, let me read this out, listening to the, listening to the false message, spawn and so on at the wrong times as the melted snow from the snowmaking fills up the stream. Is the same thing gonna happen with the heated oil cars sitting along, this, along the stream? That's a long, a long question. I don't know. Do any of you, either of you want to jump in on that? There's no requirement, but and uh, well, this is Reed Gills. Um, I've never heard that before about um, the snowmelt changing the uh, spawning habitats of fish. Um, as we all know, in the Arkansas brown trout don't spawn in the spring; they sp they spawn in the fall, uh, October and November, um, and. It seems like a stretch to say that heated rail cars are going to change the, uh, I think the bigger question is not so much the individual trains, but the, the problem with, with climate change. And that in fact is, is, is a fact, it's a problem. And Trout Unlimited, which is a national organization that's role is to conserve, protect and restore uh, uh, cold water fisheries has uh, changed their, uh, one of the things they're doing now is it's not just protecting individual streams, <clears throat> rivers. It's also it's also deeply involved in the effects of climate change because, um, as a good example, <clears throat> uh, the state of Montana now every every summer they have to close most of their rivers for their popular rivers like the Madison for periods of time they call a hoot out restriction. You can't fish between. <clears throat> like the hours of 2 p.m. till uh, 8 a.m. every day when the water gets too warm. And that is a problem that when when trout streams heat up primarily over the 72 degrees in temperature, it, it's very detrimental to the fishery. So <clears throat> the bigger question to me is not is not the individual, uh, this rail car problem, he, that heating, and I don't know how that would happen, but of course, it's the overall climate change problem, and then it's also <clears throat> like you were talking about, Forrest. What's going to happen when we have a, a crash? And um, and as Michael can tell you, also we've done a lot of research and trying to find research on the problem. We found a lot of research, obviously, that says that it would be bad, but there's very little research that's been done. Uh, on particularly this waxy crude because it's kind of a new deal. Michael, you might want to chip in. Yeah, well, it's just it's always been um, uneconomical. Um, it, it's always been uneconomical to produce. That's why it's it's remained underground until now, and and that's why a railroad needs to be built just to um, ship it to the Gulf Coast refineries. Um, historically, the waxy crude produced in Utah has just gone via um, semi 
to the Salt Lake City Refinery, which doesn't begin to have the capacity to handle 10 plus oil trains a day. That's why they want this oil to go to the Gulf Coast refineries. There have been several highway spills, but um, the, the, we can't find North America, at least, where this, has, this product has ever shipped by rail. So hence, that's why there's a, a dearth of data, if you will. Uh-huh. Um, not to I, I um, not to cut in here too much, but we we do have um, one of our listeners, our statistical statistical type types, saying if you look at the stats, <clears throat> you can compare pretty much to what the Canadians have heated rail cars hauling today. So then that's those are. Well, as she says, those are scary. I would, I think that those are scary. I mean, they've had uh, some blowups. They, 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 the press up there has been calling them uh, bomb trains. So they've had some, uh, some comparisons there. And um, now you all are very familiar with these areas. <laughs> what uh, is that a concern? Is that blown out of context? What? What do we think about uh, the statistical possibilities or comparisons? Or does, does that mean anything? It may, it may mean nothing at all because the Canadians are, they, they have a different product that they're moving. They're moving mostly tar sand stuff that's been, I don't know, I'm, I'm out of my league, but the, they, 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 they melt down the tar sands and they put that in heated oil cars and that's what's blown up up there. No, this is Reed. I I think we, this is one of the main concerns that we have. And I would suspect that and hope that if, um, if this project proceeds, that there'll be a lot of requirements um, that will be placed on these trains, but uh, force you would know better than I what the, what the possibility of that happening. But um, I would think that, um, the worst case scenario would be would be to for these trains to occur, but at the same time, you would think that there would, if that were to happen, there would be some ramifications from the various federal agencies to, to try to minimize the problem of trains crashing <clears throat> and dumping this stuff into not only blowing up, maybe may in in areas where people are going to be involved, but uh, you know, going into the river and, and causing problems for the, the environment. Yeah. Hey, Forrest, yeah. mind if I come in yeah. for a second? Yeah, cut in with, with these questions. Go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, um, I find this kind of interesting. Uh, was it in the last year that the uh, Tennessee Pass line was being looked at? The State Transportation Board did not make a decision or made a decision to not let something... To not, yeah. And you know, I just wonder if they didn't already have this on the on the pile, and they knew it was going to come up, and that they weren't going to make a decision to go that other direction. Do you think that wasn't that long ago? Well, it wasn't that long ago, and it was very not that long ago that we had on this very show representatives of the Soloviev yeah. uh, family. Mm -hmm. with their ideas about uh, leasing this from the Union Pacific. And um, 
Now we're going to have to go back three shows, four shows ago, where we tried to find out what what the what does this lease mean? What does the fact that you have the um, quote Colorado Midland Railroad now locked into a lease with the Union Pacific for for all of these rails? I mean, what does that lease allow them to do? What does the Federal Railroad Administration, the FRA, what do they want to say about all this? Um, could could anybody stop it now that they've got um, now they've got a lease? Their lease has been okayed by the Surface Transportation Board. Yeah, I suppose it could go to federal court. The problem you've got right now is that the federal courts are moving in. Uh, I don't know how to say this, a rightward direction or the, the federal courts are are moving against a lot of the agencies that have enforced environmental laws. Is that fair to say or am I just uh, uh, whistling in the wind here? But it looks like that the federal courts might today be much more willing to say to the railroad company, no, go ahead forget this, these petty rules that the FRA is coming up with. or that, That's sort of the way I read this, but you know, we're sitting here and a long ways from where these courts meet. And I don't know if either of you have thoughts about all that. Well, I, it's important, uh, Martin Oberman, to point out, Martin Oberman is the chair of the Surface Transportation Board. He wrote a strong dissent against the approval of the Uinta Basin Railway, specifically citing that there was lack of environmental, there was a lack of a stringent environmental review and felt like that because that um, wasn't undertaken that the, until a more thorough review of the environmental consequences and uh, um, regulatory enforcement was undertaken that the project should not be approved. So yes, obviously <laughs> there's members of the Surface Transportation Board who felt like um, this was fast-tracked, uh, no pun intended. So Thanks, thanks for a little humor there. <laughs> it's hard to keep any humor going in the context of this sort of discussion. And um, and we do have some of those comments. We to be fair, and uh, Rick, I'll at least say a couple. We've we've got one of our regular dissenters saying, "This is all a hoax. <laughs> Climate change. We have no idea what it's going to do. Why do you think it's going to lead to long-term drought in the Rocky Mountain West? We've we've seen these very same predictions for 200 years, and they never pan out. And um, that's pretty." far-fetched for a railroad show, but I I don't know. How do, how do you guys respond to, and I, I've got to respond to this one. I am, I think, probably, oh yeah, he'll be listening. I am right now responding to this one. I mean, what? how do we respond to this kind of a query? Or if it's really hard because people like that don't believe in science, they... Um, there's no way you can change their mind. And so what you do is you, you don't get into nasty arguments with them. You just say, 
um, you basically do what you what you you personally believe needs to be done to uh, slow down climate change. I mean, all the statements that he that you read were totally false that he made. Um, if a 200-year drought in the Southwest is not, um, it's been going on for 20 or 30 years, it's not good evidence that we've got a problem, then I don't know what else is. So um, we just need to work with people and administrations and try to get, get this thing under control. Um, and those types of folks are going to be, they're going to fight it, but you're not going to change their mind. Okay, that was that was some practical advice from Reed Dills there, and I hope our listener, who I know, I'll I'll be this is somebody I I will see at a coffee house. So, <laughs> yeah, all right. So that's at least one one response. Now, unless Mike, did you want to jump in on that one too? I'm I'm good, but I mean okay. that's an excellent response. I I think <laughs> um, show me show me the money. No, show me the data, and the data points to there's absolutely we're in we're incurring warming temperatures and all of the effects that those entail. So I'll just leave it at that. I mean, go go talk to the Boulder residents or the, the town, uh, what was it, Louisville, mm-hmm. you know, in the past month about global warming. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that though that area there has uh, burning coal mines underneath it, that whole section up there around Superior. So you, you wonder, well, what, they've never been able to put those, those coal mine fires out. They just... They just keep burning under there, and uh, who knows what 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 the effect is there? It's it's really hard to say. Um, so, uh, and, well, okay, let's let's keep moving along here. And look, when I'm going too fast, I want you guys to say, "Well, Forrest, wait a minute, you're <laughs> you're talking you're talking railroad jargon here. You you, you know, raise your hand to slow us down." But um, okay, uh, uh, the coming, the coming of electric freight engines, battery driven, certainly is there. Uh, we've got several major railroads right now using battery, battery powered uh, freight engines around the West Coast. Now, wouldn't that once that comes, uh, isn't that going to obviate <clears throat> all of these other concerns? Because if a battery, okay, let me follow her. Let me follow what she's saying here. Okay, if a battery-powered freight engine falls over, it's not going to do anything much to the ecology. You just are going to have to pull it back up and put it on the rails, and there you go. It won't be anything like the current internal diesel-powered freight engine and this is the this is this change is coming. There's no doubt about it. But um, is that does that give us a false sense of security here, or is that uh, high in the sky, or what? Well, I mean, I don't know how to respond to many of these. I, I will respond to that and say that we've got about five minutes left here for us. Only five minutes. Well, we've got so many questions. Well. 
And okay, well, let's try to let's let's try to deal with the batteries. Then <laughs> let's go to the landscape questions, and then let's go to the national monument questions, and then let's go to the trout unlimited questions. Can we can we lump them that way after the break? Oh yeah, uh, sure. But I want to just respond. We're not talking about the uh, the engines falling over. We're talking about the cars behind it falling over. So I, yeah. We're, yeah, we're talking about a spill or explosion of a, uh, what is it, slurry? Um, I, I, yeah. Technically, I don't, you know, again, I'm not an oil engineer. I don't know. Um, and how, how hot do they have to keep it? That's, that's all interesting stuff. And um, next time we get our regular railroad engineers back out on, on this show, let's try to push them a little more about that. What, what does that mean? And really, what does that mean for the whole upper Arkansas? You know, this is where I live. It's, it's where um, our, our guests who I have to apologize constantly to our guests. We put you on here. We throw these questions at you. And it's like, <laughs> you know, and if at any point you feel like, you're being abused. Why well, just let us know? Okay. Well, I think that let's, shall we deal with that group then after the break? I think so. All right. Well, then we can take a little break. I can refill my teacup. Um, what, what, okay, Rick, what kind of a break are we giving you here? Five, four? Three oh, minutes? Yeah, it takes about five minutes for me to do what oh, I do. All right, about five minutes. And I haven't ended, okay. and I haven't ended this yet, and we haven't said Well, I know. Yet. I still got to say where we're going, yeah. But I do want to say this to uh, Forrest uh, uh, listeners far. We are very well supported at Cahen by our local community, but we reach out to our online listeners who are listening to this at khen.org, and we have a donate button. Forrest has a very popular show here at Cahen, and it takes money to put these things on. If you can donate to us, we would really appreciate it. Forrest, close this thing out. Thank you, everybody. We got we we got a dozen of them listening, right? If each each of them gives a thousand dollars, Cahen will be in tall cotton for <laughs> forevermore. And and uh, so don't go away. Uh, it's really an interesting show, and two wonderful guests, uh, Reed Reed Dills and and uh, and Mike is is actually a neighbor of mine. So it's really fun having having you guys here. And uh, so okay, from the from the caboose. We're, we're going to take five minutes to stoke up the, whoa, what, what can we stoke up the cold? I guess it's a cold stove. Well, it's virtual. <laughs> it's, it's virtual. And so let's give out with a, with a highball. And uh, then we're going to, we're going to cut the section, the next section. All right. On the count of three, one, two, three, get the fusee lit, get the markers turned. Highball. Ball. Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. 
to experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889.